The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. You know, when I left New Jersey, I had to make this big decision. I was bartending at Tropicana. And one of the decisions was, you had to get your job. You get your seniority number. The seniority number was something. As a bartender in the union, you work hard for. And after my first term, I was on academic probation. And now I'm facing getting kicked out of law school and having no job back in Jersey. That's what we were facing. And I came home from term break and Scott Zolber took me out for dinner. Scott Zolber was amazing. He was such a great guy. And I said to Scotty, what am I gonna do? Maybe I should have just stayed as a bartender, have secure income. This dyslexia is just killing me. I'm studying all hours of the night and the words are coming in backwards and certain professors can't read my handwriting. We'll get to that later. And they're just going to fail me and I know my sh**. Dyslexia, academic probation. And Scotty said to me, we were at the Baltimore Grill in Atlantic City. And Scotty says, you've been through so much sh in your life. Pitney Village, the brutalities, the beatings, this and that. And in your life, bartending at Tropicana was a success story based on where we came from. He said, you got something about you. When you walk in the room, there's just something about you. And if you don't follow through with this little school thing, you're going to hate yourself the rest of your life. I miss Scott Zolber a lot. He died on May 16th, 2018. Take it from us way too young. And Scotty, you know, it's not a day that goes by I don't think about Scott Zolber. And with that, this is the story of 2004. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit. On Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios, here's attorney Bill Amadeo. I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And this is going to be the story of leaving Atlantic City and coming to Lansing. And in some ways it's going to be about the end of the Atlantic City era and the beginning of the law school era. So... I thought a lot about this. Um, people have been asking me, you know, can you tell me about your first term? People were telling me, can you tell us about your first term of law school and what it was like leaving Atlantic City? And you know, Atlantic City is there. I think anybody like me has a conflicted relationship with their home. And when I say like me, I knew I was always different. You know, you're not really. To be an academic in the ghetto doesn't really go hand in hand. 
to be a white kid when being the minority does not really go hand in hand. So to me, things were always different, you know? And Aunt Mare and Mom, they always preached to me I had to get us out of there. One of my greatest regrets today is neither one of them are here, you know? And they should be here to reap the benefits of whatever the hell this is. They should be here to be taken care of completely financially. But in 2004, I was, was at this point break, you know? You ever have one of those decisions in life when you're like, F*** this, I have to do this. Like, if you don't make this decision now, you're never going to make it. And I knew in 2004, if I didn't go to law school, I was never going to go to law school. So, I'm bartending at Tropicana. I'm a shop steward for the union. I'm working part-time as a journalist. I start working, like, as many hours as I can. And what I'm doing, guys, is I'm shelling as much money away as I can. So I want to make sure Aunt Mare and Mom are covered. I was supporting them. I don't have children, but they were like my kids in a way. You know, they raised me. I had to support them financially. So I had a condo in Atlantic City. The condo went up in value. And I knew if I sold that condo at the right time, I would be able to give them that money to pay off our house in Ventnor. I was also trying to shell as much cash away as I can. I didn't want them to worry about finances. But I also knew that you're, it's a double-edged sword, you know. Let me back up. If I stay in Jersey, I can support them financially as a bartender. I was making okay money bartending. But I also had, like, this feeling of, like, desperation. You know, it was like... I think bartending is a noble profession. But I think if I would have stayed bartending, I would have been a lost soul. It just... I had to make the move. And I didn't go to law school initially after college for a couple reasons one the LSAT kicked my ass I've always had dyslexia and dysgraphia so what happens is I will see words in reverse so to overcome that I would just work through all hours of the night you know and bust my ass to get the grades but it was like I couldn't see things straight that was always frustrating and on the LSAT that was a brutal experience now my handwriting when I write something, it's dysgraphia, which is a version of dyslexia, which means you can't really understand my handwriting. Um, and that's a problem. It was a problem for the bar exam initially because in 2008, you didn't have the option to type your essays. So you had to actually handwrite them. Knowing that the graders would not read my handwriting, I figured the only chance I have to pass the bar exam is to kick the my multiple choice. If I know the black letter law so perfectly, they'll give me a pass on not being able to read my handwriting. So that's why I trained myself. I gotta kill the multiple choice. Problem in 2004 was the LSAT is only multiple choice and I'm seeing things in reverse. I didn't know the things about multiple choice in 2004 that I would learn in 2008. So, you know, it's one of those situations if I could go back in time with the power I knew today and what so what do I do here you know I'm shoving money away and one of the things I would do is I was the breaker bartender at Trop now being the breaker bartender was interesting you worked eight at night till four in the morning 
and quite often you could get done at like 12:30 or 1 and get paid for your 8 hours so it was like almost a no-show job but I've never been lazy everybody knows that about me so what I decided to do was when I was done all the breaks I had to do as opposed to leaving early and getting paid for 8 hours I would let some of the older bartenders go home and fill up their shift. So, like, I would go to the poker bar. I'd go to Tiffany Lounge. They were the two big money slots. And I'd pick up an extra 75 to 150 bucks in tips. Go home, shove that away for Aunt Mary and Mom. So on and so forth. So I was a grinder. You know, then I started playing poker, and that was another issue. Because I made money at poker, but it's not good to stay at a poker table for 30 hours straight. <laughs> um, you kind of... You're in this, like, vortex of what happens next. So, Jim McGreevy was the governor of New Jersey at the time. And I helped Jim McGreevy get elected. And the payback for Jim McGreevy getting elected was he was going to get me into Rutgers. Now, there was a few things happening there. Camille Andrews was the wife of Rob Andrews. And Rob Andrews was a congressman or something like that at the time. And she was the dean at Rutgers. In my mind, I had to go to Rutgers. Because you couldn't leave Jersey, right? Something about Jersey where people just never leave. So Camille Andrews says if I help Rob get elected in his election, and I get a 150L sack, she'll get me in. I got a 149. And Camille said to me, hey, sorry, there's nothing I could do for you, but you should stay bartending. You're good at it. Then McGreevy. And McGreevy says to me, you know, you got me votes. I'll get you a seat at Rutgers. No big deal. You know how you can tell a politician's lying? Their lips are moving. Don't ever be hurt when a politician bullshit you because they're meant to lie friends with a lot of politicians well let's just be real man prior to an election they'll tell you anything you want once you get in good luck collecting on that until the election comes up again now there's different types of people in that aspect there's some that try to really do the right thing there's some politicians you help get elected you don't ask for favors that are unfair to them and then there's some that are just pieces of shit that use you for what they can You could figure out who's who, right? So McGreevy says I'm getting into Rutgers. Cool. I'm on the wait list at Rutgers. It's going to happen. This is it. And if I'm on the wait list at Rutgers, I could keep my seniority number at Tropicana and work part-time and still help more income come in at Marin Mom. So I got this whole plan in place where I'm going to become a reserve bartender and work like weekends and bust my ass at law school all week, which probably was not feasible, but that's, that was the plan. A lot of things we plan in life kind of take some twists and turns, as many of you guys know. So um, I get another letter from Rutgers. Congratulations. You are coming to our school. You're on the final wait list, but it's a formality. You're getting in. I call Rutgers. Hey, you're coming in. Get the financial aid together. We are pumped up at the Neary house. Neary's are my, my that's my mom's name. Amadeo was the sperm donor. Um, 
Sorry. I'm just being around. So, we're pretty pumped. I'm going to go to Rutgers. This dream's going to come true. And then, I'm in Tiffany Lounge one day, and it, Rich Tetlek is a bartender at Tropicana. Rich comes in, and he screams, Jim McGreevy announced he's a gay American as resigning as governor of New Jersey. And I'm making this frozen margarita in one thing, and I'm shaking a white rush in the other, and I looked up. Like, wait a minute, what happened? I got all these customers at the bar. I'm making all these drinks. And when Rich Tetlick said that Jim McGreevy announced he was homosexual and was resigning. Okay, number one, why was he resigning because he was homosexual? God knows what they had on him. But he quit. And I said to myself, Fuck. I'm not going to get into Rutgers. This is not good. The next night, overnight mail. We regret to inform you, you have not been accepted in the Rutgers Law School. <laughs> F*** me. Oh, man. Yeah. So now... Now you got this moment in time, right? I had got into a couple other schools. I, I will tell you, I think like 75 schools turned me down in a few years. It was like, I used to have the letters up there. Now I could laugh about that, but. <sighs> Rockers, I'm out, man. And I'm a Jersey boy, right? <laughs> At least I was. <laughs> Gotta go to Rockers. God forbid you go somewhere else. There's this law school in, cool, in uh, Lansing, Michigan. Cooley Law School. Cooley took me. And Cooley said, we'll give you a term to prove yourself. I want to go to f***ing Michigan. What do I do to Aunt Mary and Mom? But the term started in August of 2004. That's when things get weird. There's a piece of me that really wants to just go to law school at this point. But I, at this point in life, I never left Jersey. You know, I'm a Jersey kid through and through, and I never left Michigan. What? I don't know. Do I try for Rutgers one more time? But if I try for Rutgers one more time, I won't get in until 2005, if I get in at all. And there was something in my mind that said, I gotta leave in 2004. This was like the breaking point for me. So one night, I'm, uh, I'm breaking, I'm a breaker bartender. Bob Simpson, good guy, he had the bid for the poker room. I got done my breaks about 1 o'clock, and I said to Bob Simpson, do you want to go home? I'll give you the early out, and I'll just finish the rest of your shift. And Bob said to me, I got to tell you something, Billy there's not much money to be made here tonight. He goes, I'd love to go home early, but it's been pretty dead. And at this point, I'm like, it's okay, Bob. I don't give a shit. Make, don't make any extra money tonight. Just go home. I didn't want to go home. You know, I didn't want to go back to my condo that night. I didn't want to go to the gym that night. I just wanted somewhere to think. 
Because this was going to be one of those nights, you know? You ever one of those nights when it's like, okay, it's now or never? It happens in careers. It happens in relationships. It happens in professional and personal all the time. But it's one of those pivotal days. It's, it was May 18th, 2004. And Joanna Raggio, who's one of my best friends, she's a waitress at TROP. Joe's working in the poker room that night, and we're just shooting the shit a little bit, and it's slow as hell. And it was Joanna and Arlene, Arlene, somebody I always had good conversations with, we're just sitting there talking, and the bar is dead. And Conan O'Brien was on the TVs, because in the poker room was all these TVs, right? So I'm just going to flip to, like, ESPN see what's going on with sports for today. I'm kind of out of it at this point. You know, I'm bar bartending to me was like automatic at that point. It was like on autopilot. So it didn't affect my work, but I my head wasn't in the game that night. It was fine professionally, but personally I'm f***ed up. And there's a piece to me that's like, hey, this is over. And there's this option to go to Lansing, Michigan. And Conan O'Brien's on. I'm not a big Conan fan. He's okay. And I'm going to flip it off. And he goes, and Yellow Card's coming up next. I liked Yellow Card. Um, I had bought their album Ocean Avenue in 2004. Kind of a fan. You know? I'm like, oh, Yellow Card's coming on. I'll listen to them. And there's like nothing going on at this bar. Now, normally, I would just flip on ESPN, like I said. But um, Yellow Card comes on. Look it up. I'll post a link to when they were on Conan that night. And they are singing Ocean Avenue, the title song. There was something so f***ing magical about Yellow Card that night. And if you know the lyrics to Ocean Avenue, it's kind of talking about leaving home. It's about moving on. The girl I was dating at the time was very clear that if I went to Michigan, we were done. And she didn't play part of the equation. I was kind of annoyed that she even went there. But I'm like, uh, yeah, we could be done anyway, whether I stay in Jersey. It didn't matter. Beautiful girl. But that was a shot to her ego. And this is all happening that night. Like, she knows I don't get into rockers, and she lays this shit out there. And I'm like, that timing's not good here, man. Yo, I will ghost anybody, you know? I mean, Jesus Christ. Okay, so you don't get into Rutgers, you kind of have a breakup that night, you're bartending, you're bored, and you're watching Yellow Card. There's something magical with that performance, man. And as crazy as it sounds, by the end of Yellow Card singing that song, I knew I'm going to Lansing. There was something that was just connected to that. And I'm just gazed up, you know, and you're just looking at the TV screen... You're, you're not yourself. You're tranced. You're in this weird trance. And the meaning of the song was so f***ing powerful. It was like Yellow Card was speaking to me saying, B, you have to f***ing leave now. That's how I felt. I felt there was this connection to that song. Sometimes when I have a crazy day, I will just listen to that performance take five minutes out of my day and just blast that in my ears and i go back to that moment
and I get out of work at 4.15, something like that. And I call Andrew Frieda, good friend of mine. And I called um, Scott Zolber. And these are like 4.15 calls. Now, usually, everything's in reverse, you know. You get out of work at 4 a.m., what I would usually do is hit the gym. I'd go to the Alki, punch the bag for a little while, hit some weights, and just whatever. Couldn't go to sleep right after work. I didn't go drinking or anything like that. So I would, you know, if I wasn't hanging out with that girl I was dating back then, that's what I would do. So I'm driving to the Alki. And I call Zolber up. And he picks up the phone right away. And this is late for him because he's a nine to five at this point. He's working as a bankruptcy lawyer at that point. I said, hey, I'm going to Michigan. And Scott was like, thank God. I'm really glad you're doing that. I called Drew. And Drew was really depressed about it. You know, Drew was like, you know, what if we never see you again? We don't know what's going to happen here. He goes, you're going to meet people in Michigan. And you're going to make new connections. And you're going to make new bonds. You're going to forget about us. I'll never forget about Drew. I love Drew. But he was right in some ways, you know. It was the ending of something. And he was really sad about it. He was like, I know you got to do this. And that was like closure right there. jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio. I'm absolutely honored that Angie Borders is a Facebook friend and commenting on my uh, Facebook post. So I'm going to get this right out of the way. Angie Borders has been like a role model to me, whether she wants to admit it or not. <laughs> she is one of the best trial lawyers I ever know I could ever come across. And I actually made a bet with somebody at a trial she recently had. I said I would bet you $5,000 that Angie gets a guilty verdict when some people in another county were talking shit about her. And Angie kicks some ass. So Angie... Thanks for checking in on my Facebook. You are truly a badass and somebody I look up to. I know we got a couple things right now where we're going to like go at each other, but nothing but admiration for you. Now that we're done praising Angie Borders, it's time to talk about the topics of the day. I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates and... We're going to start with kind of an end-of-the-year review here. I'm going to tell you a funny story. This was weird. So yesterday, I'm in this crazy hearing at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, it's a Zoom hearing. So what I do when I have a Zoom hearing is I'm all suited up, right? But then in between Zooms, I will just throw on a T-shirt and my baseball cap. 
and you know just relax a little bit i like to do my prep in like street clothes obviously you have to look professional on zoom you don't have to look professional in my office when you're not on zoom <clears throat> many people can attest to that so i killed it this hearing right i'm all pumped up i get this big dismissal and i'm um i rip off my shirt and tie and i got one of my friday night light shirts on i have like a hundred of them put my backwards baseball cap on and i put my earphones in and i'm like dancing and singing and by the way i love the dance but i really suck at it people know that right i don't know i just got this thing where i like the dance but usually i do it when nobody's around so for whatever reason spotify picked the song um TikTok by keisha i don't know what it is about that song but i like to dance to it so i'm singing the keisha TikTok song with a scummy little t-shirt and a backward baseball cap on and i'm dancing around the office now jen kelly and matt mcmanus they know i'm nuts so it's no big deal win a bunch of cases bring in a load of money and just be you we have an understanding with each other but outsiders people that don't know you might think that's kind of crazy so as i'm singing the song and i'm running into my office to play cubert for a minute on my retro video game i see this guy looking at me who i don't know he waves at me and i wave back that morning andrew lundgusky who by the way is the best polygrapher in the state if you need to do a private poly you go with andy lundgusky and andy was in our office doing a couple polygraphs now with grable and associates what happens sometimes is he'll use our office to polygraph non-mcmanus non-medeo clients it's like a team thing so he was polygraphing a guy in the other room i know who the guy was it wasn't one of my clients but the guy saw me singing and dancing and running around, you know, after I won that big hearing. So I'm pretty sure the guy thinks I'm nuts. Andy calls me into the office where he was doing the polygraph. He goes, hey, I got to tell you something. I'm like, what's up? He says, the guy I'm polygraphing, he really wants to meet you. He was all excited. He asked if that was Bill Amadeo in the office. And he like wants to get your autograph. And he's all excited that he followed your Facebooks and... You know, read your articles and blah, blah, blah. So I'm pretty pumped up. I'm like, oh, wow, cool. Got a fan. Wants to meet me. So I go tell Matt and Jen, hey, this guy wants to meet me. He's all excited. You know, he, like, follows me on Facebook, listens to my radio show, whatever. And Matt says, B, did he see you dancing? I think he did. Well, he's going to think you're f***ing nuts. Maybe you should put a certain tie on him before you go talk to him. I'm like, oh, yeah, they already saw me dancing and singing. I mean, cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> so he comes in. Andy introduces me. We shake hands, do a selfie. And that was that. It was pretty interesting. And I realized at that point, sometimes I could just do crazy shit and people are just going to, you know, they're going to deal with it. But um, something about that song, TikTok by Keisha, it really is a toe-tapper. Anyway, now that we told that weird story, today we're going to talk about an overview of... <laughs>
All right, a live audience is making me laugh. We're going to talk about an overview of different counties and judges. Talk about opinions on current events. A little bit of a pop culture discussion. Really tired. Um, I'll tell you about today. I got to the gym at 6 a.m. Bagged it out for a while. Jump in the shower. I got to get to New Baltimore for a hearing. Judge New Baltimore has a thing where even over 9 o'clock hearing, he don't take the bench till 10. So I do the hearing there. See Gary Kennedy. Great lawyer. Good guy. Um, I'm dealing with Stephanie Steger, who I have a great deal of respect for. There were definitely some people, there were some lawyers that were, like, giving me daggers, like, I'm coming into their territory. Man, it was, that was interesting. Get done the hearing. I gotta run back for an 11.30 in, uh, Washington. But I can't make it back to Washington in time, so I just pull into the Fist Star. That was what the Facebook headline was about earlier. And I'm, like, I'm on my phone doing a Zoom. And we get that done. That didn't go off to one. So I got a 1.30 Zoom coming up on a civil docket. Judge Tabby goes, hey, we're running behind. So I run back to the office. And we're doing, you know, the 2 o'clock Zoom, which went over like 2.30, 3 o'clock, something like that. And it was funny. It was like really laid back today. So Matt and Jen are in there because it's really their client. I'm just like the face of this thing. And, um... Judge Tabby's doing his docket. And he's doing, like, speeding tickets, impeding traffic. It's like all these little bullshit things that he's just wrapping up. Because when I deal with Judge Tabby, we're dealing with serious stuff, usually. This was the end of the docket. You know, that part of the docket where, like, um, lousy collection lawyers pick up court appointed work to try to make their monthly rent. You know what I'm talking about, right, dude? Thinking of you. Anyway... Matt hears this one lawyer. He's defending a speeding ticket. It was like 20 over. And he got the guy 5 over. And Matt says, Boy, this is kind of bottom of the barrel for criminal law, isn't it? And we just kind of laughed. And I realized at that point, I'm starting to crack up as Matt and Jen are telling jokes. I got to put myself on mute. And I take myself off camera. And I realized, you know, you guys know the stories about growing up in the ghetto and being a failed box, all that there's not much I fear, but I'm going to tell you what one of my greatest fears is right now. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. One of my greatest fears in this world is that the fucking mute button doesn't work on Zoom. Because if anybody heard the conversations between me, Matt, and Jen that I have on mute, I think we would all need some serious help. So, hoping that mute button really is muted when you do that. Okay. Mike Pocockney, my boy. Be holidays, my friend. He asked me about the Kim Potter case. And we'll t read exactly what he texted me for the question. What do you think about the Kim Potter trial? Jury's been out for three days. He asked the judge yesterday what if they couldn't agree. So I'm going to discuss what that means. Bottom line, anybody that's done criminal defense for a while can tell you. And this is not about an opinion of the case. I'm just telling you from a jury perspective... If a jury's been out three days and they're asking the judge for guidance, they don't have uniformity, guys. They just don't. But that's what that means. The longer a jury is out, and there's no hard and fast rules to this, okay? But usually the longer a jury is out, <clears throat> the more likely there is reasonable doubt in their mind. 
not putting a comment on that case. I'm just telling you that's what it generally means. If they come back right away, that's usually a bad sign for the defendant. I will say this, though. There's exceptions to that rule. In Eric Coleman's case, I mean, when we were on trial for E, they came back within an hour. I remember waiting for Eric Coleman's verdict. May he rest in peace. I remember Pete Winter was my co-counsel on that. And Pete said to me, I was going against Rana Hadid, who was an experienced trial lawyer. And there were all these young Wayne County prosecutors watching. And Pete goes, oh, look, they're all watching to see how it's done. I don't know if that meant Pete didn't believe in my ability to win that trial or what, but I'm watching all these young prosecutors, and they're expecting the jury to come back quickly with a guilty verdict against Eric. And they came back under an hour, and it was not guilty. And it was quite a feeling. It's one of those things where, wow, we really pulled... We really pulled the jury that day, and we kicked ass, and an innocent man was found not guilty. That's the way the system's supposed to work, guys. So these rules aren't always hard and fast. But usually when they come back that quickly, you're looking at a guilty verdict. And a lot of jurors will feel, because somebody's on trial, they must have done something. You know, it, it's a craft what we do. Strategy comes into effect, and there's so much that goes into the process. But with the Kim Potter situation, I would say when a jury's been out that long, I'm thinking to myself, there's probably going to be a deadlock, you know. All right. We're talking about different counties and judges. People have been asking me lately, you know, every county is like a language, and people are getting that. They're really starting to see that you can't practice the way you practice in Washington and Wayne in the same manner. You know, you can't do a Lapeer case in the same manner you do a Jackson case. They're different. You know, they're very different. So what we're going to do today is discuss some judges and some prosecutors. Then we'll talk about some lawyers in different counties that I feel. I already gave my kudos to Angie Borders, so we're going to talk about some defense lawyers as well here in different counties. But um, I will say... When it comes to circuit court, and I'm only talking criminal, because Tracy Vanderberg, Judge Vanderberg is one of my favorite people in the world, but I haven't dealt with her on a criminal matter. She's doing family law and such, so I'm going to stick to what I know with the criminal people, the criminal jurists, and discuss who I respect, etc. And there are three jurists that really come to mind right now and there's many great ones out there okay and there's some that suck just being real but here's the three i've dealt with lately that i have the utmost respect for um without question judge matthew stewart and shiawassee now he's a tough sentencer okay there's no question about that it's a one-man show in shiawassee but i do think the way melissa beer with and Greg Geeson and Judge Stewart run that court, and Chrissy Lab and Sari Colpree and Liz Brown. It's a fine-tuned machine up there. And I know a lot of out-of-county lawyers have a problem in Shiawassee. Well, let me help you out here, guys. Remember in any court we go to, we're visitors. We're going into somebody else's home. As a visitor, you should have respect for that home, right? 
So, show up on time in Shiawassee. They do not deal well with people being late. And we should always show up on time. It's a slap in the face to the court when you can't f***ing make an effort to be on time. And if you're not going to be on time, you should at least have enough respect to call ahead or explain there's a conflict. But you should be on time. And in Shiawassee, it's old school. That's heightened there. Judge Stewart's one of the finest legal minds you'll ever see. So I love practicing in Shiawassee. I don't always get what I want. And any criminal lawyer that tells you they always get what they want, they're full of shit. Let's be clear on that. I don't always get what I want up there. But I do feel that Judge Stewart is an amazing jurist. If I ever was going to be a judge, he would kind of be like the role model for me. Be very clear on that. So a lot of admiration for that court. Um, Judge Anna Zalone in Lenaway. I kind of grew up with her. When I say I grew up with her, I started doing heavy criminal cases in her court. She was a defense lawyer, so she knows the struggle of defense lawyers. She's extremely fair. I think she's doing a great job as a chief judge out there. I don't have the same personal relationship I do with a Judge Stewart, but I've always dealt with her in a very fair manner. And I'm going to tell you, the third one is Judge Patrick Conlin in Washington. Judge Conlin, there was a lot of skepticism about him initially because he came from a family law doc. And I'm going to tell you something. I think his experience in family law has made him an exceptional criminal jurist because sometimes these things bleed into each other. Um, I think Kelly Roberts, who runs the court, is an absolute rock star. Catherine Streeter, they run a fine court. And while Judge Conlin may not be as experienced in criminal law as some of the other people mentioned, I mean, they got their shit on lock up there. That's a finely run court. It's always a pleasure to work in that court. So those three judges, I would say, are ones that have recently kind of stuck out from the crowd for me. District court's a little different. Um, I think we have some damn fine district court judges in Washington. I mean, we all know I'm friends with Judge Simpson. He's somebody I admire. Judge Tabby's somebody I respect. And, you know, him and I have been at odds on a few issues, but I think he has a vast knowledge of the law. Judge Valvo, Karen Valvo's excellent. Judge Perry, she's a star in the making. And people have said to me, are you going to run for the circuit court seat when Judge Brown retires in 2022? I'll say this right now. I'm not running for circuit court judge this time around. I may never. But there is one person who I believe is going to run. And it's not for me to put that out there tonight. But I will say this. If that individual runs, and I hope to God they do, they are one of the finest legal minds you're ever going to come across. And they would be a major asset to the Washington Circuit Court. And they're not a criminal defense lawyer. Let me be clear on that. If this individual runs, and I certainly hope they do, I will back them 110% financially. I will get people because the reality is this. You don't want a judge that's going to hook you up because of politics. You want a judge who's going to look at the law fairly. 
a judge that's going to protect the community. And by protecting the community, they're going to understand that your client is also a member of that community. It's a balancing test, guys. You don't want a judge that is too pro-defense or too pro-prosecution. And my personal feeling on this, my personal feeling, is if I was on the bench, at this point in my life at least, I'm way too pro-defense. My sentencing would be way too lenient. I know my strengths, I know my weaknesses. So in 2022, I got a feeling I'll be doing criminal defense. That's where I belong. But the one candidate, if this individual runs, that's gonna be an amazing addition to Wash and all. And if we're going to play politics or politics, this person is so far ahead of the curve, it would be a crime not to put them on the bench. Kathy Bowman, I feel Kent County judge or pro prosecution. There's no question about that. Um, I agree with you, Kathy. I will say at the district court level, there's been some changes where it leans a little more defense, but traditionally in Kent, it's a very pro prosecutorial bench. 110% with you on that one, Kath. As far as prosecutors go, there are three prosecutors I'm going to mention tonight that I have the utmost respect for. And I will say these three prosecutors, um, we've been at odds on a few things. But I'm going to start with the chief assistant in Livingston County, Carolyn Henry, and I will say Carolyn was a defense lawyer and a damn good defense lawyer. An excellent defense lawyer. And now she's number two in command. I hope one day she's the top dog as far as that prosecutor's office goes. Because Carolyn's approachable. I had a hearing um, in her court not too long ago. And I was asking for something, which was a big ask. I was asking for an early termination. And it probably wasn't warranted. And Carolyn's staff went against me. And I didn't win that one. And afterwards, Carol and I were texting each other back and forth, let's meet for lunch, because I don't want a hookup just because of political affiliation. Carolyn is straight down the middle, man. She's going to be fair. She knows when there's a young offender, she wants to protect her future. She knows there's a dangerous community, she wants to send them to prison. So, yeah, you may not get what you want with any prosecutor all the time, but I got to tell you, I think Livingston County is in good hands with Carolyn. So, I'm happy to see her there. She's a damn fine lawyer, and she's definitely going to protect that community well. Mark Green in Cairo has become a very close friend. And we've been at odds on trials before, and Mark and I have been the war against each other. But Mark's a fine man. He really does care about the community, and he's running a community with limited resources up there. So what they've done with mental health courts and drug courts and giving people opportunities, it's unique how he has stretched the budget. You know, he does not get enough credit, but he's a damn fine individual. So even though we're on different sides of the V, often a lot of respect for him up in Cairo. Tuscola is in good hands with Mark Green. And of course, Scott Corner. You've heard me talk about this. I mean, it's no secret how much I respect Scott Corner. I look at Scott Corner like a big brother. Scott Corner was one of the finest criminal defense lawyers I knew. 
he's done a fine job in Shiawassee. And we've had some heated hearings of late. We're going to have more heated hearings. To me, a great prosecutor is somebody who is playing by the rules. They're fighting hard for their community, but they're playing by the rules. They're not trying cases on Facebook. They're not building prosecutions off somebody on Facebook. They're taking the facts. They're looking at it objectively. A prosecutor is not supposed to believe somebody just because they say it. They're supposed to take those facts and analyze those facts and then make a decision. That makes a good prosecutor. To me, some of the finest prosecutors were criminal defense lawyers that went to the other side. They get both sides of the equation. So let's be clear on that. I'm not bashing anybody tonight, but I'm just telling you, those three are the three I've seen lately that just get it, man. They get it. We're talking about APAs, you know, talk about Stephanie Steger, talk about Angie Borders, um, Andrew Shelders, Arian Slay. There's a lot of great people, but if we're talking about the head dogs, the leaders there, Corner, Carolyn Henry, who's number two in Livingston, and Mark Green in Tuscola, they are three that, in my dealings lately, they really see the big picture. You know, and I think as a defense lawyer, you always want what's best for your client, but you want to be dealing with somebody who's fair, because even if they're against you, and you got to go to trial, we want all our cards on the table. When people are hiding evidence or trying to bring up bad prosecutions, that's a problem. We're supposed to have integrity in this industry. I certainly fight like hell for all my clients. Everybody knows that. But I would never hide the ball. Now, I will tell you this. If you play unfair, I'll f***ing play unfair. And believe me, my unfair is going to be worse than yours. But if we could just do it the right way, we could all achieve justice. Take that for what you will. You know, as far as current events go, scary right now, man. Scary stuff. When I see people prosecuted without evidence, just horrifying. You know, and I'm seeing such... How do I put this in the most appropriate way? One's social economic status should not dictate their level of freedom. We should not be prosecuting people harder because they're poor. And it's a shame that justice often comes with a price tag. A prosecutor I really respect. I had a case dismissed um, not too long ago. And the prosecutor said to me, well, I guess if you got $40,000, you could find justice. Now, what I did in that case was kind of insane. There was a lot of things that went into it. With that being stated, I really think we need to pay public defenders more. I think PD should be paid on the same level as prosecutors. One of the reasons why um, public defenders are so burned out is because they're working hard, not getting paid enough money. There should be more money going to public defenders. You know, I think retained lawyers, you know, we live a very charmed life as retained lawyers. And I know I'd be on an island saying this, but I've said it before. I'd be happy to donate part of my salary 
to put it back into the public defender's office. I think Washoe has a damn good public defender's office. I think Shiawassee has a damn good public defender's office. But how many times do you lose qualified lawyers because they want to go make more money somewhere else? It is what it is. Recently, I had a young girl who was a PD. And she said to me, hey, I want to go retained. Said, okay. She goes, tell me the playbook. So I start telling her the playbook. We start analyzing things. And she's going to make good money. And she says, you know, I don't really feel right about this. I don't feel right about that. And I said, listen, we all have to make decisions in this world. I've never been somebody who's solely motivated by money. That's not my first priority. Money will come, okay? But if you have a family, you have children, you know, and there's bills to pay and a mortgage to pay, money's got to play a part of the equation. And I think there's too many qualified lawyers that would love to be public defenders for life, but between financial aid and supporting their families, it's not an option. Somebody really needs to explain to me why a public defender is not on the same pay scale as a prosecutor. By the way, prosecutors, not putting you down. You guys deserve your money. So do the PDs. You're both working basically for the state. Your paycheck's coming from the same place. Why should it be such a discrepancy? I don't think that's fair. And I will tell you, I do a little bit of court-appointed work out in Port Huron, St. Clair. Mike Boucher become a friend of mine and he asked me to fill in on some cases <clears throat> now for me I have so many retaining cases court appointed work financially it's not worth it it's just not worth it the money you get paid on the court appointed cases however if I do a court appointed case or a retained case it's really important to me and I'm just not a court appointed guy it's just not me but when I fill in on one in Shiawassee or a St. Clair Shores it's so different. It's almost humbling. I had a case in St. Clair. And I'm telling the guy, well, I want the private polygraph done. I want the sex eval done. I want A, B, C, and D. And usually when I tell a client, I want A, B, C, and D, well, Bill said it. We're going to do it. It's not the case for the public defenders and the court-appointed guys. They don't have the unlimited resources we do on the other side. To use the baseball analogy, it's almost like with retained lawyers, we're the Yankees, we got this unlimited budget, and the court-appointed guys, the public defenders, they are like the Oakland A's. Billy Bean's done amazing stuff with the Oakland A's. Moneyball. Genius stuff, right? But he didn't have the budget of the Yankees. If I tell somebody to go do a private polygraph, I expect it to be done. I was brought up to be a retained lawyer, and I never understood the struggles of court-appointed lawyers and public defenders till I started filling in when there was an overflow need. So, I don't do a lot of court-appointed work, but when I do it, I always find it frustrating that I don't have the same resources to help a client that I normally would. And I think it's tougher for court-appointed lawyers tougher for public defenders to really advocate the way they need to because they don't have the bells and whistles that we have on this side of it. So, it's more of a challenge. 
right, I'm going to give some shout outs here. People have been asking me about different lawyers and different communities and who I would recommend. First of all, Jen Kelly. And Jen, I want to thank you for the cool Christmas gift of the old school baseball cards. I will open some of them later. And I'm biased towards Jen, but Jen's a f***ing badass, man. And Jen Kelly and I have a long history. I remember when Jen Kelly was my student and I was tutoring. And when Jen was my student, we'd be at the Bogey Towers running it from Scott Grable, working on multiple choice 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. She was such a hard worker. And she's a great athlete. She played Division One. And I feel like a lot of times in this profession, former athletes make good defense lawyers. It wasn't in Jen's heart to be a defense lawyer, but as a divorce lawyer, she's becoming top-notch, and I'm really proud of her. Because I knew her from her first term. I'm watching her become a star. And that's really, it's great to see. As far as Wayne County lawyers, and I'm not going to talk about myself here, um... I think Ashley Duplessis is becoming a pure badass. Ash and I have worked a couple cases where we got major dismissals, and I feel she was every bit as important on that case, or even more important than myself. Ash takes her work home with her. You can't go wrong with Ashley Duplessis. Um, I see Roach out there tonight, and Roach, I'll tell you, you've been extremely helpful, even though we don't know each other. You made the connection with me and Greg Hills, and Greg Hills has helped so many people with substance abuse. So I think your knowledge is to a major credit to you. And if you need a lawyer in Wayne County, I think Dave Rosenberg's a great choice. If you need an appeal, obviously I think Grable and Associates is a great job. David Hertzkovitz is a fantastic appellate lawyer. Um, I think Dave really it's a passion with him. And you know, in appeals, I always quote Bill McQuarrie, I don't know how to spell the word appeal. You know, I just don't. I'm not an appellate guy. But, to be an appellate lawyer is a really unique craft. So Tim Dolman with Grable and Associates and Dave Hertzkovitz are just amazing at what they do. And it's always great when I talk to those guys because like you're learning a new language. I couldn't do what they do but I really do appreciate their craft. In Livingston County, Colonel Defense begins and ends with Bill McCrary. When I get a call in Livingston, I call Bill McCrary. I sat with Bill McCrary on my first two trials, and I could not have had a better learning experience. He's paved the way for a lot of things, and Bill's not a hand holder, okay? He's not going to be calling you all hours of the night. He's told me I do too much of that, and I know I do. But he is an absolute technician in court, man. Um, in Livingston County, you should always go to Bill McQuarrie. He's a role model. He's an excellent lawyer. And he is who I would hire in a heartbeat in Livingston. In Kent County, there's no question in my mind that Megan Mast is a cut above. Joe Brignoli's right there with her. 
Megan and I have worked a lot of cases together now. And I'm really proud of where Megan's gone with her career. She's becoming a superstar. <clears throat> and Meg really cares. She, I can't tell you how many times we've had late night phone calls going over cases. And she's so frustrated <laughs> when things don't go perfectly. I mean, she puts her heart and soul into everything. And Meg, you know, we've talked about this. Sometimes the facts are on our side. But I'll tell you, when they're not on our side, nobody fights harder or gets a better deal than Megan. If you're in Kent County, you should always go to Megan Mast. There's no question about that. As far as Ingham County, I mean, you could say I'm biased, but I mean, Scott Grable's been amazing. Being part of Grable and Associates changed my life. It really did. And quote-unquote, no matter how big I get or whatever you want to say, I'll never not work with Scott Grable. I'm really proud of where our firm is at, but we wouldn't be here without Scott's knowledge. And I know that every single day. When somebody calls up with a big retainer, I always think if I hadn't met Scott Grable, I would not be in this position right now. So in Lansing, it's a no-brainer. You go to Grable and Associates. Okay. Well, there's a lot more I would say tonight, but I see we've been on for 40 minutes. And the attention's been... You guys are probably tired of hearing me talk right now. So, here's what I could say. I'm going to announce this. I'm really excited that we signed a new one-year contract with Shiawassee Radio. So, Josh Strickland and Shiawassee Radio and our firm will be together for another year. That was pretty cool this week. It's been great work with Josh. I love what he does. He makes me sound so much smarter than I am. That Boogie Nights thing was great. I appreciate it. When he did the 70s retro music with it, that was pretty cool. You know, there's just, it's been a crazy year. It's been a crazy year. One of my best times of this year, believe it or not, and I almost didn't go and I'm glad I did, but Aaron Abera's birthday party on Saturday. I was tired. I didn't feel like making the hour and a half trip each way. But I got to meet Dan Lowell, who I think is a great mind, great politician. I got to hang out with Joe Abair, and Joe, I really hope you run for sheriff again, man. We will get money behind you. We'll fight this thing, because you really would make a difference in Shiawassee County. And Aaron, who's a close friend, I can't stress this enough, and I'll just say it publicly. I think if you decide to ever go to law school, you would be f***ing spectacular. I would hire you in a minute, and I would feel comfortable giving you cases from day one. Being a lawyer is not necessarily about intellect. It's not about book knowledge. It's not about juggling. It's about heart and passion. Intellect plays a role in it. Aaron's got heart. Aaron's a fighter, and she's smarter than me. But let me be clear. It's not simply about intellect about caring about that client, putting that client's needs ahead of you. And I can't imagine me doing that better than Aaron. So I was really glad I got to go to that. I was also glad that the Colts covered the spread that time. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been a crazy year. It's been a challenging year. I want you guys to have a great holiday. 
Um, I think 2022 is going to be a great year. We've all been through a lot of stuff. You know, this COVID thing and it's torn communities apart. I know it's on the rise again. But I really do feel there's a lot of good things on the horizon. And everybody I mentioned tonight, I have the utmost respect for. I will tell you that. And one, I'll end on one final thought here. I had a case before Judge Kim Small. And here's a spoiler alert. Don't drink in Kim Small's community, okay? Because she takes drinking and driving too hard. And as a defense lawyer, this will sound weird coming from me, but I remember when I was two, in 2017, I didn't know And Judge Small taught me so much. That woman is so passionate. And I get it. People feel she's too strict with misdemeanors. But she cares about the community. She really does. I admire Judge Small a great deal. And yesterday, it was really a coming-of-age thing. I thought of my first case before her in 2017. I thought about, wow, the end of 2021. Now I did my allocution. I was kind of talking about how, you know, Judge, I knew you when I didn't know anything, and I've learned a lot. And I did this sentencing memo, which was 48 pages long with exhibits, and it carried a lot of weight with her. And she is a judge who, she will read what you say, she will listen to what you argue, and when she gives a lecture, it's because she truly cares about you and that community. So, it's a pleasure to work with her. I think she gets a bad rap sometimes. But I think Kim Small is a great judge. I really do. I don't always agree with everything, but I do think it's a lot to be learned in her court. Alright guys, have a great holiday. presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800 392-7311.